Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Hello and welcome to the Shed Wireless podcast, made in Australia and distributed all over the world for the love of shedding. It's great to have you here with me on the Shed Wireless. Thanks for stopping by. Well, they say time flies when you're having fun and 2023 has been an absolute huge year for sheds and hasn't it gone quickly. We're well into spring, which in fact feels like summer on most days and that means we've only got a couple more episodes left for this year. Make sure you share the podcast with your mates. I want to be back bigger than ever in 2024. But before I get ahead of myself, here's what we'll be talking about in this episode. My special guest is Murray Harton. Murray is considered one of the best Australian rhyming poets of the modern era. I had a great yarn to Murray about his life and some of his incredible work. On the tools, we're back in the garden with Sabrina Hahn. Sabrina's got some great tips for getting out in the garden during the hotter months. AMSA's Stuart Torrance has his finger on the pulse of male breast cancer. Hmm, I can hear many of you say, well, although rare, men can get breast cancer too. Stuart sat down with Dr Janine Lombard to talk about what to look out for. I'm taking a stroll down to Max Music Shack to have a look at a bunch of songs that coincide with 30 years of shedding. And Rip, well, he needs a kip. Let's see how he's tackling his sleep problems. Let's get into it. You're listening to The Shed Wireless with my good friend, John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders across Australia and around the world. Get ready to shed. Yeah, there's something for you at the men's shed. All right, self-confessed big mouth himself, Murray Harton. How are you, Murray? Uh, good thing, John. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, really well, really well. So, cool. tell me about your um, your your poetry. Now, when did you actually start getting involved in poetry? Was it as a kid? Oh uh, well, that was yeah. Well, I look back at it. Yeah, I had a primary school teacher here in Moree, where I'm back home. Where I'm back home now. I've been back for nearly ten years, but I had a primary school teacher in fifth and sixth class, uh-huh. Paul Lawler, who's down on the south coast now, and uh, he got us into it a bit, and then. Um, not so much when I went away to school. I don't think you got you didn't get to be too creative at school. But then just <laughs> left school was in Sydney and yeah, used to muck around a few poems for for parties or something like that. And um, always had an interest in it. Always read a bit of Patterson and whatever. I wrote a poem during the drought in '83 when I was living in Sydney, but I was a bush boy. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up accidentally went on a competition at Tamworth as part of the Country Music Festival back in 1987. Yeah, now that's got me intrigued. How do you accidentally win a competition? Well. Oh, I don't know. I was uh, I was <laughs> I was working there as a uh, a rep for uh, for TNT. I think it was Caltex or TNT. Anyway, I um I was only young. Oh, I was twenty four, and uh, and I heard Ted Egan, the great Ted Egan, on the radio talking. Oh, about yeah, saying that he'd just been judging a poetry competition that was on the back of a semi trailer out at the Long Yard at Tamworth, and he said mm-hmm. some of the contestants were pretty ordinary. I thought, well, I can be pretty ordinary. I'll have a crack at this. <laughs> Because I had a set, of, so I had the, this drought poem I'd written a year beforehand, or a couple of years beforehand, and um, and then I got there and they said you needed two, so I did another stupid poem. Went in, won the heat, and and then I had a few mates drop over. The finals on the Sunday, and uh, I had 
four lines written about a, a gunfight between a possum and a koala, you know, so like true documentary style thing. <laughs> and I wake up at midday because we had a huge night and the final was at four o'clock, finished. I was able to read it out and whatever. And Anyway, ended up, um, I, I wouldn't have won it except uh, a bloke, <laughs> bloke did a great poem. And then when he finished, everyone loved it. I thought, well, I'm gone here. And then a bloke in the front row, I think I might have been the late great Charlie Marshall from Tangool. And he said, mate, this is the original section. And the guy said, <laughs> he was half cut. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, this is, that, that's not your palm, mate. And he had, he'd, he'd done a blue the shearer palm. And so I got, I won it by default. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> so blue the shearer had it been there, I might have done it. Anyway, so there, then I, then I, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, stumbled into it that way and stumbled into the, into the country music festival that way. And yeah. And then, uh, and then a couple of years later, a bloke called Marco Gliori came down from Warwick and I, we had mutual friends in Tamworth mm. and he won everything. <laughs> now you mentioned Ted Egan before. Yeah. What? What's happening with Ted? I don't know. What is it? And Ted, he was, uh, I don't know if he's still up in uh, in the Territory. Um, yeah, because he's been very quiet, you know, for quite a yeah, few years. I was just yeah, wondering. Yeah, a bit of a legend, Ted, yeah. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, I just used to love the way he played that, uh, yeah, that the empty old, beer carton. Empty beer carton, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, you went to Barker College. Was was that um, was that uh, a boarding school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Moree, northern New South Wales, where I am now. Yeah, it's a boarding school in, in Hornsby. Uh-huh. The, old, the old Pacific Highway, when it used to just bloody come into into Hornsby from White Tower, uh, not White Tower, from the other end. I know it well. We used to play the Hornsby Police Citizens Boys Boys Club. Yeah, well, just up from there, when the, when, the, when the highway, the old highway took a sharp left-hand turn, there was tennis courts, and that was Barker just there, yeah. Okay, okay. So you must have lots of shenanigans from there, from those. Oh, days. well, yeah. We'll say, well, third on our overnight train trip from Moree and back again. And, then, and uh, yeah, no, we, yeah, no, we had a bit of fun there. We ended up with the – we didn't have a lot of boys. ended up with a great bunch of blokes. Um, uh, and then there were girls in fifth and sixth form, Daigles. And uh, we're, we're in a really good form, and yeah, we're all, all still pretty close, which is which is oh, that'd be great. That's great. Now, Maury, I've got a little bit of connection with Maury. I, I suppose you know uh, uh, Lee and Dick Estens. Yeah, I do. Yeah, most certainly do. Yep. Uh, now you yeah. would you would nearly you knew, nearly would have performed at the town hall here in the seventies, would you? When they had those bloody uh, yeah, I probably did, and I did one quite recently, the last couple of years for for Lee. I think it was the. Um, the, the Gulf Miss, Day. Miss Maureen. Oh, was it? Oh, the Miss Maureen, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so we did, yeah, we went up there and did a little little, little gig. And uh, every, every year we go out to Gaduga. All right, yep. That's fairly nice. Yeah, to <laughs> perform a service um, for a couple of Aboriginal soldiers uh, that didn't come back from Kokoda. And right. uh, and there's uh, one of the local pastors uh, from uh from Maury comes out with his family, Paul. Right. I can't remember his second name, and uh, and they come out and, and do a few numbers as well, and it's great. They're they're, they're just like the Von Trapp family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. No, no, just that was great years back then in the seventies. I remember seeing Skyhooks, and yeah. Uh, yeah, Ted Maury gang, yeah, all that sort of stuff that was unbelievable exactly. in the town. Exactly. So tell me about your association with the men's shed. Oh, well, um, yeah, um, Marty, Marty Lost, uh, just sort of, yeah, but he must have seen me at some sort of function and got me involved and, and got mm-hmm. me got me down to do a few uh, a, a particular, um, you know, functions down in uh, where Adelaide or Glenelg and, and, um, and different, yeah, and, and recorded a safety thing for him. And I've done a few shows for, for Marty across the way. Yeah, we, we get on well, so it's a, it's a great cause, yeah. Yeah. Are you still, uh, you go out there and still doing it? I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not 
part of the shed here, more. It's, it's yeah. Um, no, 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 sorry. So what what I meant was your, your poetry. You still? Oh getting- yeah, 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 yeah. Well, obviously, obviously, you'd you'd fully appreciate. Um, uh, COVID was a yeah, that was just a disaster. Oh, yeah, didn't that uh, put a brew through things? You yeah. get the first phone call to say it's off, and then the procession, and then you'd say, "Well, that's it." Yeah, and then yeah, then you go, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was horrible." But it's just uh, it's starting to come back. Yeah, it's starting so to come back. What's it, what's your favourite gigs to do? Um, oh, there's different ones. Well, <laughs> I did a little one for the we had a senior pro am here golf thing, and it's very hard to do stuff in your hometown. But actually, that went pretty well. But um, oh, I don't know. The festivals are good. They're they're all a bit different. Mate. Um, uh, different um conferences. I've done stuff. You know, do work at working with kids, and in, in particularly in primary schools where they're very creative. That's a lot of fun. But um, I I don't know. I mean, out in the bush, just uh, around a campfire. I mean, I suppose that's with what I do. That's that's what it was born and bred for. But uh, you know, if it's a good crowd and they listen. And, and, and you recede well. That's all you can ask for, can't you? You know. Yeah, absolutely. Have you got a Have you got a book of your poems? Yeah, yeah. I've got yeah, I've got a few books. I've got uh, one called uh, Fair Crack of the Whip. Is the latest one, and then uh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And uh, well, you know, your your poems are wonderful, and and they really are reminiscent of uh, Patterson. Um, you know, I, I I mean, I I used to love those. Um, I haven't heard them for a long time. The old Patterson stuff, and I think the magic is Muzz in. It's not the joke, it's the way you tell it. <laughs> and the magic uh, from you, Muzz, is definitely the way you uh, recite your poetry. It, it's uh, it's fantastic. Well, I, I think I said, well, we, we sort of, a few of us stumbled into it, just fell in. We didn't set out and say, oh, hey, we're going to be poets, which which is sort of what happened since, I think, with some people. I think, yeah, you know, you, you, you sort of stumbled into what you were going to do too, I suppose. And, uh, I did, yeah. Um, and, and so... And, and you always maintain and, and realise that it's a privilege to get on stage, sort of thing. But also, it's also not a performance. You know, it's not in a Stedford, um, mm-hmm. particularly with what we do. So, it, the, the more conversational it is, and the more background you have to the introduction to your stories and your poems, it makes it so it's it, it's largely a one way conversation. But you get you know the the, the feedback comes via applause or tears or, or or you know yeah or your laughter yeah whatever it is you yeah. know so so it's um. I think it's yeah, it's a special thing, but it's it's not it's, yeah, it's not ego driven. I think um, the whole the whole the natural performance of it is, is you're up just having a chat. Yeah, yeah, no, I I totally agree with that because uh, you know it's um, well, I've seen a couple of your performances and um, it's uh, it just re- reeks of off the cuff. You know, even though I know you've written the stuff and you're regurgitating yeah. it, but it's just it it still sounds like you're making it up on the spot. Well, you know, I think I think that sort of comes to do with the, with the background you give before your poems, and and because a lot of my stuff is based around sort of well, based around a little bit of truth with some mad mates, um, yep. how it happens, and so you, and I always say the introduction to my poems are all true, um, mm-hmm. they're all fact, and then when the uh, when when it starts to rhyme, the facts get a bit hazy, but that's not lying. That's just poetic license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, and, and and the other thing is too, it, it's it's hard to make up a character, um, you know, and be true to it. You know, make up a vocabulary. So, so if you've got, I've got fishing yarns. I've got bloody pig pig chasing yarns about mates. So you've got the mate, you've got the character. Even like Billy Hayes in Turbulence was a fair digging bloke. You know, so if right. you've got that, you know, that character to work with. Um, you don't have to make anything up about them, and and if you if you're putting those characters into a into a poem, um, there's people in the audience, even though it might be a, a, a 
a bullshit <laughs> story in, in <laughs> essence. The character's real estate people, they always going, oh, Macca would have done that or Baz would have done that or Mary would have done that, you know. So, so yeah, you've yeah. got a real character in there, you know, the audience relates to it rather than making up some unbelievable silly story with a, with a made-up character that, that you've got no backstory to, see? Oh, that's great. Well, listen, I encourage everybody to grab one of Murray's uh, poetry books uh, because, you know, there there really is some wonderful stuff. Turbulence I loved. Uh, You know, Fishing for Cod, that was very reminiscent of another cod one I've heard for a long time ago. And and Rain from Nowhere, that, that... that really got some accolades, didn't it? Rain from nowhere. Well, right, yeah. Well, was, yeah. That just sort of the good ones just come to you. And I had been had a bit of a conversation with it, but it wasn't wasn't sort of uh, anything to do from my life really. But I got contacted by a mate to do something, and it all it all popped out. And I think, yeah, I think um, I think what, what was accidental there. I didn't, you know, I, while it's about a farmer and, and his um, a farmer and his dad, and a letter from his dad. Yeah, you know when he's going through a tough time, it's accidentally, and I say accidentally because I didn't realize it was going to work out like this. It's that, it's about any relationship, so and you don't have to be from the land to, to tap into the emotion of of, of what's happened there. No. So it can be it can be a father daughter in the city, it can be you know a couple of friends or whatever. So it's just a, it is a big sort of R U A K type thing via the letter from the dad to the son, you know. So yeah, it kept a few, and with yeah, the response was quite amazing. Yeah. Instead, yeah, and it, 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 it and it does it. It brings it all home that uh, you know, no matter what's going on, you might think you're alone, but you really aren't. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. You do have a family there, and uh, yeah, don't forget about it. <laughs> and I might I might be get out there because I think we're in for a bit of enough tough another tough time coming up very soon. I think. So. Well, actually, yes. I mean, I we were out at Gadooga last August, and uh, they were telling me then that, as far as they're concerned, the drought is on. And uh, and it's 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 not going to get much better for quite a few years. So yeah, so we, we wish everybody out there on the land all the best. And yeah, uh, we just got a bit of rain here, a little bit of violent wind and everything. But there was a bit of rain about uh, in some New South Wales area. So I mean, hopefully they, they suck that up and we've got something out of that. But uh, yeah, everyone stick together. That's the main thing. Get yep. together. Yeah, don't don't think that you're uh, you are alone. And if I, and if you are, you know, ring up your mates and just say, "Hey, yeah, okay," you know. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> if you don't know, find out. <laughs> yeah. All right, Murray, thank you very much for being involved in the Shed Wireless. Yeah, thank you, mate. Great, great stuff. Good to speak to you. Bye. Make sure you check out Murray's website. It's packed full of photos, info, and you can fill up your Christmas stocking with some of Murray's books. On the tools. On the Shed Wireless. With John Paul Young. You're in for a real on-the-tools treat today. We're in the garden with a certified horticultural expert that you may recognise. AMSA's resident handyman, Marty Least, caught up with Sabrina Hahn to chat summer gardening. Thanks, JP. Now, you might have recently seen her on ABC's Gardening Australia in her garden, where they refer to her as gardening royalty. Well, la-di-da. I think we're going to have to refer to her as Princess Sabrina or Queen Sabrina. Sabrina, welcome and thank you for joining us again. Well, hello, Marty. I don't know about I don't know about gardening royalty, but you know. Well, I don't know. I don't know. You look like a, a queen to me, and I've been told you're a bit of a princess. So. Oh, I am a bit of a princess. <laughs> I did see that episode, and I was most impressed. It was a, a beautiful garden you have there. Yeah, yeah. It's my little, it's my little solstice out there. It's wonderful. 
It definitely is. It's it's definitely a cathartic thing, gardening, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I get the, the older I get, the more and more into my garden I get. Absolutely, and, and yeah, like yeah. you say, it's that place of solace. Uh, since we last spoke, I've been handing out your book, Dirty Deeds, everywhere ah. I go. But it's a lucky door prize for the events I do with the men's sheds and things. It's very ah. well received. And, ah, you're yeah, a champion. Great, great little book. And uh, but I was disappointed because I was recently over in Fremantle where I hope to catch up with you and. I heard, found out that you were over east doing a bit of a yeah. tour or a bit of a holiday or something like that. Yeah, I was in Sydney um, yeah. and then went to Wagga because my daughter now lives in Wagga and I've got a brother who lives in Sydney. So we probably passed each other on the Passing ships. Yes. Passing ships. Devastated. Yeah, Devastated. Yeah. Oh, anyway. But I tell you what, the next time I'm in Sydney, I'll definitely make a, make a point of catching up. Well, I won't, I won't jump on a plane until I know you're in WA next time. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we last spoke back in April, I think, and it was the uh, the, the cooler climate. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you gave us some, some little tips on what to plant in the veggie garden. We talked about yeah. pruning and things like that. Yeah. But, uh, I did manage to plant some things in the garden, but, like, I, I had some luck with cabbages and broccoli and some cauliflower and things, but I have to admit I'm a bit of a wuss and, I don't like to go out too much in the cold, and so I just sort of whack it <laughs> in the ground. And if it grows, it grows. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But it was a, it, I found it was a pretty dry winter, and so I didn't, I didn't get up to water too much. I must admit, and so yeah. I did, did have a bit of luck with some things, but um, not too much. But yeah, it's kind of it was a funny season all around Australia this winter. Um, you know, some people just got inundated. In Western Australia, we had one of our driest winters. Um, and of course, in other parts, people had their wettest winter. Yeah. Um, so it's really, you know, with a with an unpredictable climate, it's pretty tricky for gardeners now just trying to figure out the timing to do stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I've like I'm a little bit running a little bit late this season, but I've I actually last weekend I got out there and I started to prepare the beds and everything, ripped out all the old and it's ready for all the new sort of thing. But um, yeah, but yeah. they're already talking it's going to be a pretty dry, hot summer and yeah, yeah they're, they're even talking water restrictions already over here. So oh, really? Yes, yes. We've yes. grown up with water restrictions here. We don't know anything else, but oh, there you go. Well, <laughs> you're the lady to talk to then, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah. So, so if water restrictions are looming, um, the, the thing to be mindful of is the timing of your watering. So the very, very, very best time is to actually do it early in the morning. And in summer, you know what, Marty, early in the morning is so beautiful. Yeah. Definitely. Best time of the day. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a morning person, so I yeah. do like that. But, um, yeah, yeah. So and get out there, get out there early, and the, I guess they like they like to know, get nice and um, watered up first thing in the morning to survive the hot day. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the other thing people have to be aware of is plants actually can reach a maximum wilt point. So if you if you save all your water, like you know, save put it put a bucket in the shower with you, because some plants will actually need extra hand watering to get them through summer. Yeah. So if you let your plants wilt really badly, 
they will probably die if it's a, a you know a 36 degree day the next day so every single drop of water that you can save in your house is actually really valuable even if it's just a teacup full that you can pour on a lettuce or you know your spring onions or whatever um we have to be really mindful of every single little drop of water that we can make use of. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very fortunate where I am. I'm on the Enviro, I've got the EnviroCycle thing here. And mm-hmm. That water, that's like magic water. I mean, that is brilliant, would, isn't it? I probably wouldn't recommend putting it on your veggies because it's, no. you know. No, in fact, I, I think you'll find Marty, the health department, uh, <laughs> not to do that. But everything, I mean, but, but for the lawns and, and the citrus trees and things, they absolutely yeah. love it. They thrive. Right. Absolutely yeah. sensational. And I always tell the guy, you know, if I have a few boys over for a couple of beers, I tell them to go and water themselves on the, <laughs> on the citrus trees as well. So. <laughs> Every little drop counts, right, Sabrina? Every little drop counts. Oh, I totally agree. After all, Marty, it's just nitrogen, isn't it? So it's, Absolutely. It's good Absolutely. for plants. It really and a little is. bit of beer. And a little yeah. bit of beer. <laughs> <laughs> I think, but, you know, years and years ago when I was a uni student, we actually did a, we did an experiment on, on beer and pizza and then weeing <laughs> on citrus trees and the girls had stuff like, you know, healthy stuff like salad and um, yeah. wine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was amazing because the beer and pizza uh, <laughs> came up trumps. <laughs> I'm going to have the healthiest citrus trees this year, I guarantee you. There you go. Wow. Um, wow. All right, so we better get serious. What? Yes. All right, so what are we looking at planting around about this time of year? What is okay, the, um, tomatoes, so, obviously, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know tomatoes are the most planted vegetable in Australia? So we all get terribly excited because the shop bought um, tomatoes during winter. You may as well eat the cardboard. Yeah. Um, so home ripened tomatoes are just the best thing. They are amazing, aren't they? They are. Now, the unfortunate thing is, Marty, that um, tomatoes have more viruses and fungal diseases than any other plant known to mankind. So the trick with your tomatoes, right, so when you get the seedlings, if you're growing them from seedling, you strip off the lower leaves because you're going to plant that tomato much deeper than what it is when you buy it as a seedling because that bit of stem under the ground develops roots. And then the next thing you're going to do, if you want to get good tomatoes where you don't get those viruses, is to spray them with mancozeb. So mancozeb has got copper in it and viruses hate copper. Right. So... I have to Google that one. Yeah, so there's lots of different um, there's lots of different products that contain mancozeb. Mancozeb's the active constituent, so it's not a brand name, but you'll but you'll see mancozeb written on lots of things. So if you spray it at seedling stage with mancozeb and then do it again two weeks later, then yeah. you're pretty well right. So that, so that protects the plant from the inside-out sort of thing as opposed yeah, to dusting yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah, now, well, if you're a pure organic gardener, then you can use cupric hydroxide if you want to go totally high, high um, organic. Right. So um, now the other thing is all the exciting stuff grows in yeah, summer. So you've got right. watermelon, 
yes. rock melon. Yes. You've got um, pumpkins, spring onions, um, cabbages, bok choy, pak choy, or the Asian greens. I thought they were more. I thought they were all winter sort of vegetables. No, no, thinking. cabbages will grow all through summer, particularly yeah. the heritage ones. Um, lettuce you need to have in the garden where they get afternoon shade. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. the little buggers just bolt to seed. Yeah. Ah, does that make them? Is that what makes them seed? Yeah, because wow. they get heat and water stressed and they just go, nah, I'm going to give up now, but I'm going to make sure they have lots of babies. Yeah, wow. There you go. So you have go. them in afternoon shade. Um, if there's some great watermelons and rock melons now that are more compact, you know how <laughs> watermelons can take over your whole veggie patch, like a bit like pumpkins. Yeah. But all the cucurbits, you have to control powdery mildew. So there's lots of products out for powdery mildew. There's organic products called ecofungicide, and it's basically bicarbonate of soda. Okay. So if you spray, again, prevention, always better than cure. Yeah. So if you spray with, um, with a preventative, then you're not going to have the powdery mildew problems later on. Okay. Really suffer. And spring onions, you don't even need to buy them. You buy a bunch of spring onions, cut the bottoms off and shove them straight back in the veggie garden. Just that white bit with a little bit of roots on the bottom, just shove that back in. Really? Pop it straight back in. Tell you what, I learn something every time I speak to you. (laughs) That's why I thought I knew it all. Ah, no. You see, this is what happens when you're really old. You just accumulate it. Come on, I saw you on TV. You're not old. Stop (laughs) it, you. Stop it. Come on. I don't know. After a full day of gardening, my bloody body feels like it's 100 years old. Yeah, well, that's right. And I I guess that's why I guess you plant to to suit that sort of thing as well. And, you know, I know I've raised up my garden. I've got raised garden beds and things now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... We've got um, a couple of we've got a couple of questions from listeners this time too. So, oh, cool. so what do we got? We got any special? Gar- oh, what are some good veggies? Summer veggies to plant? We've gone through that. Any okay. garden bed preparation required? Like- yes. So remember that vegetables are live fast, die young. So you want them to, they're hungry little buggers. You got to feed them like a pack of teenage boys. So. <laughs> So um, get really good organically-based granular fertiliser and then on top of that, from seedling stage, you can liquid fertilise them. So now don't pee on your veggies too much because you don't want too much. In fact, just don't pee on your veggies. Really, I'll just finish <laughs> that sentence there. Um, you don't want too much nitrogen because yeah. you won't get the fruit because most of the sun, you know, capsicums, chilies, all those things that we're putting in now, um, yeah. they need potassium. So make sure you've got good levels of potassium. Right. Um, eggplant, the same thing, because you'll get the leaf growth but you won't get the fruit. Uh, the um, soil, soil like have an expiry date? Some of it, you know, like I, I went up there and it's been probably two years since I changed the soil. Sometimes I emptied out and just put new stuff in. But yep. is it possible to rejuvenate sad-looking soil? Definitely. You don't have to empty it out. But what you do have to do is 
every like twice a year you need to incorporate some compost not soil conditioner but compost so compost is different to soil conditioner it's aged so it's much older and it's usually full of a lot more uh, microscopic fungi and bacteria so it has a lot more biology to it so compost and manures are win-win for your veggie garden soil so you don't need to remove stuff unless it's too big Um, you know, too high, the levels are too high and you need to drop it a bit because most of your veggies will feed in the top 15 centimetres of soil. That's where they're going to access their nutrients. Right. Definitely put in, you can buy soil micros, freeze-dried soil microbes, which sounds bizarre, but they, they come to life once they're with water and they attach themselves to the plant roots and add more biology to the soil. So you really should be doing that. The best time to, to do that is in spring and then do it again in autumn. Gee, gardening's becoming a bit of a science now, isn't it? Uh, uh, the soil. Soil is basically amazing stuff and it's a bit like the skin on our body. We kind of take it for granted, but it holds all the good bits in. <laughs> so is a good measure like I always check if there's worms in it plenty of worms in it, it's healthy yeah. soil yeah, yeah absolutely worms yeah, right. need biology otherwise they can't live in the soil so yeah, if right. you've got lots of worms that's a really good sign of healthy soil well, there you go there you go all right what do we got next uh I only have a small garden bed patch is there an alternative to crop rotation so I can grow my tomatoes each year I would grow your tomatoes, if that's the case, I would grow your tomatoes in their own separate pots. Right. The reason I say that Brand new soils and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to replenish the soil for tomatoes every single, every year. And because they're so susceptible to virus and, and fungicide, you just ditch the soil and put new soil in. Okay, brilliant. All right, last one. Uh, I would like to play, plant a native garden to attract birds and use less water. Any mm. recommendations as to shrubs and soil preparation for that? Absolutely. Now, if you remember with birds, the different birds have different flight zones and they, they nest at different size trees. So all the bigger birds um, need large trees. If you want the little insectivore birds, which are the birds that do all the garden work for you, they come and eat all the aphids and the grasshoppers and the scale, um, you have to have mid-sized shrubs. So they need to be between two and three metres high and they have to have lots of nectar. So you look at, so I don't know where the email um, has come from. I don't know what state they're in. But basically you have to look for plants that will supply different sources of nectar all year round. So you might have something like um, in midsummer you'd have a calathamnus, the one-sided bottle brush. Then in winter you'd have something like the, the, um, the little uh, um, duranta because that flowers all winter. You might have honeysuckle as well growing up a fence. So you need to go to your local nursery and you can ask for either Mediterranean or native plants 
to that area to attract those birds. Birds And and you will need it dense, like densely pack it. Yeah, right. Densely pack it. All right. Good tip. Kangaroo paws are are fantastic. And there's, I think there's 132 different kangaroo paws now. Wow. So you've got heaps to choose from. There you go. Well, there you go. It's going to be an expensive trip to the nursery, isn't it? Oh, yes. Anyway. Anyway, all right. Well, I think that'll do. That, that's got me set for the for the summer. Anyway, I think I'm yep. ready. To, I'm ready to plan. I'm um yeah. I'm well, good to go this weekend and start planning some. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And well, thank so you, Sabrina. It is my pleasure, Marty, and I hope that uh, everyone enjoys their garden. And sometimes it's nice not just not to do anything, just to sit in your garden. Absolutely, just remember. Watch. The Early birds, in the morning, bees, everything. Yep. Yep. champagne is considered a breakfast food and in the <laughs> evening you're sitting out on your, in your garden, there's nothing wrong with a glass of wine or a beer. I love it. I love your style. Okay, you can you can check her out on the website sabrinahan.com.au with a heart for heart where you can purchase any of her books or listen to her Roots and Shoots program on the ABC radio, Radio Perth, but you can listen. I listen to it on the app, so uh, there's that time delay over this way, but I listen to you on the app, So, and I love it. You're a wealth of knowledge, and we thank you so much for joining us again and, and sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. Sabrina, it is always my pleasure talking to you, Marty. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, some great advice indeed there from Sabrina and what a lovely planting time it is. Uh, I've actually got some zucchinis in and they're doing quite well. On the pulse, on the shed wireless. When most people think of breast cancer, chances are they don't think of men. Most of what we see and hear about breast cancer focuses on women. Although it is uncommon, men can and do get diagnosed with breast cancer. In Australia in 2022, there were an estimated 205 cases of breast cancer in males. The good news is that 87% of Australian men who are diagnosed with breast cancer are still alive five years later. Stuart Torrance caught up with Dr Janine Lombard, oncologist at the Calvary Mater Newcastle. Over to you, Stuart. Welcome, everybody, to On The Pulse. I'm Stuart Torrance, Men's Health Project Officer for the Australian Men's Shed Association. And we're here today because of a, a gentleman, Brian O'Connor from the Yas Men's Shed. And he's gone through what he describes as a trial, a trial, a fight against breast cancer. And he's even written a book about it, which I'm sure he'd be happy to share with you if you contacted the Yas Men's Shed, A Country Bloke Versus Breast Cancer, A Survivor's Story. So we decided to have a chat with some of... Uh, the world's professionals about what is breast cancer in men? What's it all about? What should we look out for? And what do we need to know? So with me today is Dr. Janine Lombard, a staff specialist of medical oncology at the Calvary Mater in Newcastle and a co-joint lecturer at the University of Newcastle. And I take it, Janine, that that would be on oncology and the subjects thereof. We we know uh, guys get prostate cancer, skin cancer, and you know, we've always sort of put, uh, I suppose, breast cancer in, in the, the ladies' field. And there's a, we know there's a lot of fundraising and, and things go on for, for breast cancer and all their posters are pink and it's very feminine um, sort of uh, approach. But now we learn that men can get breast cancer too. 
Um, can you tell us what's the cause of breast cancer? So thank, thanks, Stuart, for um, raising, you know, I think the first thing to mention here is that male breast cancer is rare. And often right. that makes it a much more difficult journey because it's just not on the radar of a lot of men that that's something they might have to navigate. Yeah. Janine, is it, is, it, is it rare in men because it rarely gets picked up or, no, or it's just rare across the board? It's, it's fortunately just rare. So oh, okay. because men, um, you know, don't have the amount of breast tissue that women have, right. um, it, it's actually usually picked up um, by the man himself or maybe by the partner because it's usually quite, obvious that something's changing there around the nipple so it's usually picked up um, you know not because men don't go through the breast cancer screening program that we have in Australia uh-huh. and that's because it's such a rare cancer there wouldn't be value in doing screening right. um, it's usually picked up you know by either someone the person themselves feeling a lump or maybe noticing a change in the nipple, or maybe even a, a, a discharge, which can sometimes be blood stained from the nipple. Um, oh, and then okay. more, more rare would be feeling an enlarged lymph gland under the armpit. So, Janine, um, uh, and I'm just thinking about. Uh, um, my wife doing uh, her breast uh, examination and, and so on. There's a lot of pressing and probing going along. But you seem to be focusing a, a, a lot on the nipple area in regards to the male breast cancer. Is- um, yes, that's right. And I guess it's because men usually only have a small amount of breast tissue and it's usually sitting just behind the nipple. Right. So, although okay. it's, uh, yeah, some men can obviously have more breast tissue and can have, I think, colloquially called man boobs, yep. Um, yep. where there's more tissue then you can actually, you know, feel all around, but more like a woman with very small breasts. But for most men, that will be only a small amount of tissue. Yeah, we, we did do a, a, an actual um, program on man boobs uh, yep. and uh, the, the causes thereof. Uh, and what to worry about and what not to worry about, but we didn't actually touch on breast cancer. So in regards to identification, the, the you were talking about uh, the area around the nipple because that's where the more fatty tissue, is it where the fatty tissue is that the, the cancer cell grows? That's right. So that um, tissue actually consists of what we call duct or lobules so that's actually breast tissue it's not just fat it's actually got little ducts in it and that's where the cancer can arise I think I mean it's important to stress in a talk like this and just to give people you know comfort that male breast cancer is really rare so um, in Australia only two hundred men are diagnosed in a whole year Um, Although, obviously, I'm not minimising how difficult it is for those men, but it's not a common cancer in men. So only one in 500 risk of developing um, male breast cancer. 
And just to try and put that in perspective, if we look at prostate cancer, if mm-hmm. a man lives to 85 in Australia, he's got a one in six chance of getting prostate cancer, right. uh, you know, versus that one in 500 risk of breast cancer. Yeah, you still wouldn't want to be one of the 200. I Absolutely don't think. not. <laughs> yeah. Janine, I mean, sorry, go on. No, I guess I, I want to encourage anyone who's having to navigate that difficult journey, any man, is that mm-hmm. we can we can really be positive about cure rates. Um, we know that, you know, the treatment we, we use for women works in men. So um, it doesn't mean that if you've got that cancer, there's no treatment. There's yeah. many, many types of treatment. And in fact, uh-huh. most of the treatments are actually the same as what we would offer women. So really to just encourage those men that um, although this is rare, we actually have some good science. Um, we yeah. have studies. Most of the more sort of up-to-date modern studies or clinical trials in breast cancer include men. So they're not okay. – obviously most will have women – but mm. men are not excluded from those studies, and that's important because we know there's this small group of men who are having to go through that journey. Okay, so um, my knowledge of, of female breast cancer and the like, uh, I've heard that uh, women um, quite often have their breasts removed. I think it's called a mastectomy. Do men do that as well? Yeah. So I guess the first step would be if if you felt something or you thought something had changed at the nipple, you felt a lump, you know, make sure you go and see your GP. Um, If there was something suspicious, you actually can do a mammogram on a man. Um, So a mammogram, yeah, so that often people go, oh, how do you do that? Um, So a mammogram, although it's more a little bit more tricky, basically you're using two plates where you – just gently trying to compress any of that breast tissue and then you're taking a special type of x-ray. Yeah. And so that, that absolutely can be done in men um, okay. and, you know, all kind of x-ray places that do that screening in women would be able to offer that to men as well. Um, sometimes if there's only a tiny bit of tissue and it's very difficult to do the mammo, you can do an ultrasound. So um, even if we can't do a mammogram, we definitely can do some tests. Right. And if there was something suspicious there, then the next step would be to for um, the radiologist to actually do a biopsy. So to put a type of needle in and to take some cells out and try and confirm if that's cancer. All right, so you actually have to hit the cell that's of concern and take some a sample from that. That like it, it, it does it. I suppose is it uh, in the tissues that surround the cell, or do you have to actually hit the cell to to get your sample? Yeah, so we want to be sure we're actually getting a biopsy. We call it from the area that looks abnormal. So yep. usually that's done under some form of imaging guidance. So um, often it would be an ultrasound or sometimes a mammogram. And right. they're going into that area that doesn't look like normal tissue and taking a sample. Um, if that confirms a cancer, then for most men, the surgery would be to actually remove that breast, all of that breast tissue. So that's called a mastectomy. Right. Um, 
often in men, because the tissue is not a lot, we wouldn't be trying to do something that we do more in women, which is called breast conservation, or some people call that lumpectomy. So we're right. just trying to remove the abnormal um, tumor, the, like the lump, and you're trying yep. to actually leave the rest of the breast in order to, you know, have a good sort of cosmetic outcome. Um, although that can actually be done in men, um, it's it's I guess it's not commonly done. Usually, just because the the tissue is actually not a lot, and so if you only take the lump, you might not be able to get. Uh, a clear margin. You want to make sure you've got all of the tumour, you haven't left any of it behind. So Janine, you, you're basically saying if it's caught early enough, you don't have to go to these extremes. The The treatment should actually knock it out and, and you, you'd be back to normal. Is that right? Absolutely. So, you know, if it's a small cancer, sometimes an operation is all people need. So sometimes it will be that mastectomy, removing all the breast tissue. And yeah. if it was a very small area and there were no lymph glands involved under the armpit. So right. we do always do a special technique where we check those lymph nodes in the armpit. And that's called a sentinel node biopsy. Um, so uh, usually a single lymph node or maybe a few lymph nodes are actually removed from under the armpit at the same time as the mastectomy. Oh, okay. Yeah, that helps us to really know whether we should actually then be giving or offering people more treatment um, because if there are lymph glands involved, then there is a slightly higher chance that the cancer may be spread somewhere else or could in people's lifetime spread to other parts of the body. And that would mean then we would want to offer treatment to minimize that chance. Um, and there are lots of different treatments we can give in, in that setting. So um, in some cases, we would offer chemotherapy. So that's anti-cancer treatment usually given through a drip um, mm -hmm. for a sort of defined period of time. And in some men, we don't need to do that. We can um, give tablets, which actually block the way the cancer can use hormones. Oh, right. Okay. So there's, there's numerous uh, treatments that are available to those that find uh, these issues uh, in their body. And I suppose this is a, a, a cancer generally across the board. Is that right? Yes, so uh, in breast cancer, one can get quite con it can be quite confusing. So there actually are not there's not just one type of breast cancer. There actually are several types of breast cancer, and they they actually all behave in different ways. So what we know for male breast cancer is that it's almost always expressing hormones. So we call that hormone receptor positive breast cancer, or some people call it endocrine positive breast cancer. All uh -huh. that means is that the cancer cells that are removed actually have got proteins that are expressing hormones. And those hormones are estrogen and another hormone, progesterone. So okay. mo most male breast cancer is that subtype of cancer. Um, and the treatment for that would be surgery, sometimes chemotherapy, um, and if not, commonly we would give a tablet which actually 
blocks the way cancer can use hormones. Right. So it sort of switches off that light switch, if you want to use that analogy, that mm-hmm. the cancer cell could use. So it switches off the way it could use estrogen. And mm-hmm. that, that's a tablet called tamoxifen. It's a tablet taken once a day. Oh, right. Um, okay. So many men so, will end up, yeah. you know, being offered that. Terrific. Okay. So, Janine, we've identified uh, how, how we identify breast cancer in a, in a man. We've looked at the treatment. What about aftercare? What, once you've finished your chemotherapy, once you've finished your treatment, once you've had all the surgery, is that that's it gone? Um, it, it can't come back? Uh, have we removed everything that... Um, like, is that a done deal and life will just go on? Or is there constant treatment needed and ch- constant checking thereafter? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, first of all, the the tablet. So to, if people end up being offered tamoxifen, mm-hmm. or there are some other tablets can, that can be used as well, um, usually that's for a defined period. And so for, for most people, that would be taking the tablet for around five years occasionally it would be longer if there was more risk. So if there had been lots of lymph nodes involved by the cancer, we would sometimes recommend to people that they should take it for longer than five years. It Mm. would never be forever. So it would be, you know, for most people, five years, occasionally it would be extended to somewhere between sort of seven to 10 years. And what's important in that time is we want people to feel well. So although there are side effects from tamoxifen or other forms of estrogen um, suppression, uh, I guess we just want to encourage people that most men actually tolerate this treatment well. Um, the, the most common side effect is actually hot flushes. So the stuff that women get when they navigate the menopause. Right, um, yeah. and, and there actually are things that we can do to help people. So there are other medications, there are some complementary types of therapies that can help uh, men if they are finding it difficult to tolerate those side effects. So I, I always say yeah. to, on, to men who are in my clinics, you know, the aim of this is two things number one we're trying to really minimize the chance of the cancer coming back but on the other side of that coin we we want to be sure we're maintaining people's quality of life and um, it's really important that men are talking to their oncologists if they're struggling with tolerating these tablets because they're things we can do to make sure the quality of life's good it, 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 it's the, the same story across the board. If anything's going wrong, continuously go back to your GP, to your oncologist, to your specialist yeah, uh, and, and actually talk about it. Don't just sit on it and go, well, I've just got to soldier on, uh, which is, yeah. you know, uh, and unfortunately, a, a lot of us do that. Um, it, it's easier to have a conversation and then alternatives may be available. Janine, you mentioned risk. And it brought to mind that um, quite often when we're talking about cancer, we talk about family history. Is that a historical thing in male breast cancer? So that's really important. Thanks for bringing that up. So um, if we look at uh, breast cancer in women, we actually Mm. know that most of the time that's what we call sporadic. So 
we don't actually know why it's happened. We think it's probably complex environmental things. Yep. So we call that environmental hit. So lots and lots of things that happen to you over your lifetime that you actually can't modify. Maybe viruses, infections, exposure to radiation, Many, many things, you know, that over 60 or 70 years you can't actually change. Yeah. So for most women, that that's the reason they get breast cancer. It's not because they've got a protein that's been passed down through a family. Right. Uh, that's what we call genetic risk. Um, so we know in men, actually, it is slightly more common for breast cancer to be genetic it's still rare. So most men who have breast cancer don't have a genetic reason, but it's about double the chance that it is in women. So about 20% of men with breast cancer might have a genetic reason. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure we identify that because if we do, we can obviously offer that testing to other family members and we can potentially offer those those family members if they have the gene mm -hmm. you know things they can do to prevent getting breast cancer or other cancers so the gene people um, may have heard of is the one called brca2 or BRCA 2 and that that's the um, gene that can be one that's passed down through a family and cause male breast cancer Okay. There are some other rare ones, but they're extremely rare. So in Australia, we would recommend any man who's um, diagnosed with breast cancer should definitely have a referral to a family cancer service, or, or sometimes it's called the genetic service. Um, should go and have a conversation with them and um, almost always be offered a blood test to help mm -hmm. identify if that, if that gene is there or not. Okay. So... What um, to raise awareness uh, and to ensure that we've covered that historical, uh, that family uh, genetic uh, strain. Are you suggesting that any man that has had uh, concerns about breast cancer or knows of another man within their family uh, having breast cancer to be concerned and to be aware and to keep checking? Yes, you know, if there is a known genetic mutation in a family, then, mm -hmm. you know, often those people are already linked with a genetic service and they've already, you know, been told, please make sure you doing the following things to minimize risk. I mean, for most men, that's not going to be the case. So, so right. for 80% plus of men, you know, with breast cancer, there isn't any of that going on. Um, for, for you know, the general population, for people walking out there who's never had to navigate this, I guess we just have to um, try and raise awareness, which I think is wonderful that you're doing this work, is just for people to know because often men will go, oh, I felt something behind the nipple, but like men don't get breast cancer, so I'll just yeah. ignore it. Mm. And so I guess we just want to make sure that, you know, men are aware that, you know, although most of the time if people feel a lump, it's actually not going to be cancer. Mm -hmm. It might be one of those other reasons that you covered in your man boobs talk. Yep. Um, but if there is something there, go and check it out. Get it checked out because like all cancers, the sooner we pick it up, the smaller it is, the better the outcome for people. So don't sit on a lump. Just don't be embarrassed. You know, I yeah. guess healthcare professionals, we – 
We just do the stuff all day. Please don't be embarrassed to come to us. Go and check in with your GP. Get it checked out. Have and, a conversation. Um, yep, have the conversation. Fabulous. Janine, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for the, all the information. Um, there's a lot of, a lot to think about, and um, I'm, I'm glad we're raising the awareness of male breast cancer. Uh, and the good news that you've given us is that it's rare. Um, uh, it gives us a, a, a lot of um, hope, but don't be uh, complacent. Uh, check yourself out, guys, just as you would uh, look for testicular cancer and check yourself out in the shower there. Um, just check out your breasts and, and make sure you're, you're covered. And if you have concerns, please go and see a, a specialist. Janine Lombard, uh, Dr. Janine Lombard, thank you very much once again uh, for your input and your time. And um, we thank Brian O'Connor down at the Yas Men Shed for bringing this conversation to us. Please, if you want to have a, a copy of uh, Brian's book, please contact the Yas Men Shed. Uh, but uh, JPY, thank you very much, and I'll hand back over to you. Thank you. Thanks, Stuart. Well, time to take a stroll down to Max Music Shack, and that's going to be in celebration of 30 years of shedding. Now, quite easily, we could have just gone through the last 30 years of music, but, you know, it doesn't really doesn't really sit with us old farts too well. So we've gone 30 years back from 30 years ago and uh, we're going to play some uh, pretty amazing stuff in there. Now, before we head down to that funky little shack, remember, you can listen to Max Playlist on the AMSA YouTube channel. Simply head to YouTube and search Max Music Shack where you'll find all the songs that we mentioned in today's chat. Well, to celebrate 30 years of shedding... We're going to go and visit Mac at Mac's Music Shack. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Yangi. I, uh, I was asked to put together some a, a song list for to celebrate the 30 years, but uh, you know, not, it started in 1993, and uh, I a bit of a contrarian, so I, I'm going to start in 1963 and work up to 1993. Oh, very good, very good. <laughs> I like your style. I like your style because I mean. There's not really. I don't think our uh, our audience is really on that demographic of '93 and onwards. Well, I'd, I'd probably like to think that uh, from '93 onwards they got busy in the shed and stopped listening to the. Yeah, that <laughs> good point. All right, let's kick it off with the Dave Clark Five. Yeah, well, I thought you know if we're going to, it's more or less a party list, so uh, you know all parties involve dancing. So I thought I'd start off with "Do You Love Me" by the Dave Clark Five. You can do the frog, the swim, the monkey. Whatever whatever you fancy to it. <laughs> and and I reckon after that one, that'll be the end of the dancing, so you may as well just sit down with a beer and have a listen to uh, a few tracks that you may not have heard for a while. Uh-huh. So, nice. yeah, a good party track I always think is the Small Faces, sha la 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 Lee. Mm. And uh, Now, what does that mean? Uh, absolutely nothing. John. Right, absolutely okay. And the next nothing. one is The Who I Can See for Miles. Because Miles couldn't see very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's this song actually inspired uh, heavy metal music. Uh, Paul McCartney read a review of the song and said it was the heaviest record that they'd ever heard. <laughs> he hadn't heard the record and he thought, "Heavy, I can write a heavy song." So he wrote "Helter Skelter." Yes. Which, <laughs> in that, response, that was heavy. And then he heard, "I can see for miles and miles," and he thought to himself, "Oh." 
oh, it, it isn't actually that heavy. So, <laughs> and uh, so there is an argument that Helter Skelter was, uh, was the start of heavy metal music. Uh, and party records, the Kinks, their masterpiece, Waterloo Sunset. Oh, it's just... It just uh, it it puts the picture straight in your in your head, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it even mentions uh, some of the characters migrate to Australia. I think. Oh wow! And then after that, Cat uh, Stevens, uh, Matthew and Son, and Cat uh, Stevens was only seventeen or so when he wrote and recorded this. <gasps> it, but he and you wonder how he uh, seemed to nail the uh, the drudgery of uh, everyday work in a factory yeah he he wouldn't have been old enough to have had a much many jobs by then and there's a line in that song that would certainly relate to the sheds a, a cup of cold coffee and a piece <laughs> of cake <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly quite possibly <laughs> Uh, I think we're going to move over to America and uh, of course when i was 13 14 15 uh, you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing uh, four songs, four Creedence songs every uh, every hour. Well, it actually made me hate them. Uh, they, they, they plastered the radio that much with Creedence Clearwater Revival and, and I just couldn't, I couldn't stand them anymore. I mean, I absolutely adore their music and, and I'm glad that I've been without it for a very long time because when you go back, it's, it's just wonderful stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, John Fogarty, the main writer... You know, he wrote all those songs about being born on the bayou and yeah. all about the deep south. When he wrote all of those, he'd never actually been out of California. <laughs> <laughs> but he absorbed it through the music and, you know, the right. uh, it was very rootsy music. I thought I'd play a couple that don't get played very often. Uh, his soul ballad, As Long As I Can See The Light, and his little Richard tribute, Travelin' Band, which is one of my favourites. Great. Yeah. Uh, and then... Then a band that you definitely don't hear anything of anymore, uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears. And mm. uh, they they came along and mixed a little jazz and a little bit of blues and a little bit of soul and even a little bit of classical music in their second album, which was a huge hit. And uh, it was just sounded so fresh at the time. So we're going to play You Made Me So Very Happy, which is a cover of a soul hit. Yep. And one they wrote, Spin and Wheel. Yes, I I actually sang that song for my audition into JC Superstar way back in 1972. Yeah, well, uh, I remember you telling me that years ago. Yeah. It never hurts to suck up to the boss. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 that that follows on to something we used to listen to back in those days, um, long before radio got to it. David Bowie. Yes, that's right. That uh, Hunky Dory album was before he became the huge star with uh, Ziggy Stardust, uh, and. Uh, uh, well, what to say about Bowie? It was a great record and Changes was the first really classic rock song that he wrote, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it sort of swung back to England then in uh, in music and Elton John and uh, and Rod Stewart, Bowie, Elton John and Rod Stewart were, were all known to each other, had been working for a while and uh, they all became very big stars at more or less at the same time. Mm. So uh, Elton John, one of your favourites, I think, Youngie, Country Comfort. Yep. And uh, the and Rod Stewart, of course, was uh, – he had as, as well as his solo records, he, he made records with the Faces, which was the leftovers after the Small Faces broke up. And uh, they had a great hit song with Stay With Me, which 
probably isn't quite PC these days, but I think we'll just get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then once again, it seemed to switch back to America, and uh, t- with Tom Petty and Bob Seger. Uh, they were sort of known as the Heartland Rockers in those days, but they were just—they were very, very clever rock and roll bands, and we all remember working on our night moves, uh, not very successfully in my case. Uh, and Tom Petty, uh, the song we're going to play is uh, almost one of my anthems. Uh, even the losers get lucky sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's from the album Damn the Torpedoes, which uh, was, it's called that because if it hadn't been a success, he was going to have to go bankrupt. He, he had to buy himself out of a record con- recording contract that he wasn't happy with. And if it didn't, if it didn't sell, he was a shot bird. Ah. So I guess even the losers get lucky sometimes is sort of appropriate <laughs> there too. And then, and then we switch back to England again. And, uh, my favourite of the post-punk era, if you like, was uh, Elvis Costello, and uh, uh, he wrote some great pop songs. I was going to play Oliver's Army, uh, which I'll bet you is the only pop song about joining a mercenary army. Oh, okay. Oh, there might be a few in the future now <laughs> after uh, yes. after the Russian experience. <laughs> yes, that could be <laughs> could be right. And the next song is uh, I've. Is um, a song written by Elvis Costello called "Girls Talk," which came out under the the artist as Dave Edmonds. But the story uh, is is quite interesting. Dave Edmonds and Nick Lowe were the two mainstays, two great friends, and they started a band called Rockpile. But they couldn't record as Rockpile because they had separate recording contracts. Oh yeah. And so for about five years, they'd put out a Dave Edmonds album, then a, a Nick Lowe album, but they were all by Rockpile. Finally, they got clear of their recording contracts and they recorded an album called Seconds of Pleasure, which seemed to be quite prophetic in the end because they broke up as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as it was released. <laughs> uh, and then uh, one of my favourites from the 80s, uh, some, somebody who used to get confused with you, Youngie, I think, Paul uh, and Young. And still does, still does, yep. yep. <laughs> and, He's two-thirds uh, of me. <laughs> and, uh, and a song of Marvin Gaye's that he covered, uh, which is a great Now, his, uh, his, his voice is, uh, is absolutely gone now. Yes, uh, I believe so. He always had trouble with it. He, yeah. uh, even when he was hugely popular, if he went out on tour, then he was a shot bird for, oh. for a period of time. Oh, dear. And then... We switched back to America again. Prince was probably in the eighties, late eighties, and the and the nineties, probably the most innovative artist in uh-huh. in in America. I think uh, we were going to play nineteen ninety nine, which is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, uh, seeing as we're supposed to be celebrating nineteen ninety three. But uh, hey, who cares? Yeah, exactly. It's only a number. <laughs> yeah, my uh, I don't know if if you ever get a chance to see the American tribute concert to George Harrison, Prince plays guitar on Why My, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And uh, uh, while he was, he was substance, he was also style. During the, the uh, song, he had wires on him and he leant back playing the guitar and the next thing he's lying on his back on the stage and then 
the strings pull him back up upright again. <laughs> he plays the last little riff from uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps and throws his guitar in the air and it's on a wire too and it disappears up into the flies. It's a <laughs> most uh, sensitive. Oh, I reckon we could, now that we've hit this age, we could all do with some of those wires every now and again. <laughs> Certainly. Oh. And so that sort of brings us to 1993 and the by far the most popular song in 1993 was Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we've all heard that a million times, and uh, I don't know whether everybody knows, it, it's actually written by Dolly Parton, and it was written about her partner and mentor, Porter Wagner, uh-huh. and uh, uh, he he more or less controlled Dolly Parton's career and she wanted to go in a different direction, a more pop direction. He didn't agree with it and so she said, uh, all right, I'm going out on my own. And so she wrote this song to tell him how grateful she was to mm. him for helping her career. And uh, what a wonderful woman she is. Ah, yeah. You know, yeah. she has uh, made so much money. She's been so successful and uh, freely g- gives it all away, yeah. most of it. Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, and she's as funny as a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is. She's fantastic. <laughs> I ain't never going to give up plastic surgery. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's, that's your lot. So... Uh, if, you're, if you've been partying, uh, if you can't leave them, drink them. If you can't drink them, leave them. We'll indeed, see you indeed, again. indeed. Excuse the numbers, they're all wrong, but have a great time. <laughs> Thanks very much, Mac. Thank you. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it with Rick Woodchip. G'day, Sutters, Rip Woodchip here. How are you all going today? I'm a little bit off my game this morning, gents. I didn't get much sleep last night after being engaged in what I can only describe as an act of warfare between myself and a certain mozzie from hell last night. Yeah, it's always a way. I'd gone through my evening routine, was about 30 seconds away from Naughty Land when I was attacked by what sounded like a B-52 bomber flying into my left ear. And that cunning little bastard must have kept me up for a good hour between turning on the light and chasing him around with a pillow and then slowly drifting back to sleep before the second, third and fourth wave of attacks. And after that, I slept with one eye open for the next two hours before I was satisfied the enemy had been neutralised, as they say. Little bastard of a thing. How do they always seem to know exactly where your ear is? Every time. Yeah, so like I said, I'm about three hours from my traditional eight hours of beauty sleep. Not that I need it, mind you. But if I don't get me solid seven and eight, I'm as grumpy as a bear with a bellyache. I've always maintained the importance of a good night's sleep. And it's pretty much scientifically proven that if you don't sleep good, well, it'll slowly kill you in the long run. Not to mention how crappy you feel from day to day. I know from personal experience how prolonged periods of sloppy slumber makes me brain, body and me betrothed all very unhappy little campers. You know that saying? Early to bed, early to rise, makes one healthy, wealthy and wise. Well, that's always been a bit of a mantra for me. But sometimes, getting a good sleep every night ain't that easy. And we can be our own worst enemies. But like anything, I go through the three Ps. Perfect preparation prevents poor performance. 
and you've got to prime yourself for a good sleep the way you prime yourself for a good day's work, and vice versa. If I'm ever not sleeping good, it's usually because I've either upset me routine and broken me rhythm, hit the turps a bit too hard or had too many lattes, taken some extra liberties on me midday nap, or done bugger all all day and not worked up the appetite for a deserved dose. That's like if you put a battery drill on charge before it's even gone flat. It's pretty pointless, and if you leave it on for too long, the battery starts to deteriorate. Likewise, if you lay around and do nothing all day every day, your body's not done a workout and doesn't really deserve much of a charge. But, I guess, if you've inclined yourself to laze around and sleep all day every day, well, that's kind of just like leaving your battery on charge for too long, and it'll slowly deteriorate to the point where it just ain't going to work proper no more. Not without some serious reconditioning anyways. You picking up what I'm putting down here, Shedders? We all know how good it feels when you have a big day and you shut all the blinds and the head hits a pillow like a cloud and you're out for the count. Yeah, that's the kind of sleep I love. You could drive a road train through the room some nights and I wouldn't even break me snore. Mind you, I can wake up a bit battered and bruised those nights from the missus' gentle encouragement to turn it down a notch. She can be brutal. So, if you're feeling like crap, look at the way you nap. Or, you ain't worth a peep if you don't get a good sleep. <laughs> you like that? I'm a clever bastard. Anyway, Shedders, I'm going to go scrape a few bug carcasses off the wall. Good on you guys. Catch you next time. See ya. What a journey we've been on today. Remember to share the podcast with your shedding mates. Give them a hand to follow along on Spotify if you can or send them to www.menshed.org forward slash the shared wireless. Until next time, folks, for the love of shedding. Adios. Whatever is your game, everyone's the same. Yeah, we can do it all at the men's shed. Short, fat, tall, skinny, hairy, bald. In the shed, it's welcome one and all. Share the skills you know, we're all having a go. There's a helping hand in the men's shed. Yeah.